for me, in a smart community, trust is the most important part. And with my, my expertise in the identity space, the human identity is core to the whole smart community. If you don't bring that human into the smart community, nothing else will work. You're looking at IoT and all that, it won't work. So, and I think one of the most important things for me in a smart community is that the micro becomes part of the macro. The macro doesn't just decide on what happens to the micro. The macro works from the bottom of up. So the individual has say in everything that's happening in the environment. Hi, smart community friends. In this episode of the Smart Community Podcast, I have a great chat with David Jacobs, a prominent identity management specialist in South Africa. David tells us about his interesting background in the police force, being trained in forensics as a fingerprint expert, and his passion for identity management. He tells us about his company, Dial Global, and its focus, what a smart community is to him, and we discuss the importance of trust and identity in smart communities. David then dives a bit deeper into Dial Global and shares more about what they do, as well as the applications their technology offers, before we chat about synthetic identities and the implications of deep fakes. We finish our conversation discussing the emerging trends of a more human element in smart communities, the micro and macro working together for communities, and the need for more regulation in the fintech space. As always, we hope you enjoy listening to this episode as much as we enjoyed making it. Welcome to the smart community, smart regions, smart towns, and smart cities. It's where we live, work, and play with smart communities. The future starts today. Big data, smart mobility, emerging trends galore. The Smart Community Podcast is what you're looking for. Hello, Darwood. How are you today? Zoe, good and you? I am very well, and I'm very excited to have you on the podcast coming in from South Africa. Let's just jump straight into it. And can you tell us about your background and what you are passionate about? Okay, so passionate firstly, passionate about identity management. It's become a real uh, thing for me. I think it actually spills right back to where I started um, in my professional life. I went to the police, South African police. I was trained in uh, forensics as a fingerprint expert. And in that space, I got to get hold of a lot of different things, learn a lot about identity, learn how important it is to prove that somebody is who they are or isn't who they claim to be. So in that space, it, it's become my passion over a long time, uh, working hard to get the right solution in place for everybody and forensics is very much a, a big part of that. So that's that's basically my background. Um, well trained in the police force, did a lot of cases, worked with a lot of fingerprints in my life. And I think that's just spilled into my professional life um, in the commercial side as well. Mm-hmm. So tell us a little bit more about what you do now. Well, we've created a company called Dell Global and they've got dealers in different countries currently. Uh, what we do is we focus on identity management. Um, as we claim to be, it's true identity management, very important to understand, where we link the single existing real-world human being, you and me, to our single digital twin in the cyber world. 
So there's one of you in the real world, and there must be only one of you in the cyber world. So we do that in the link between the two. We do the forensic protocol, which means that we capture all the information at a very, very high level um, and then link it to the uh, digital identity or digital twin. And with all that we do, we can prove that identity at the highest place, and that's a court of law, that this identity belongs to that person. So uh, we've created systems. We've combined very high-quality devices, high-quality software. We've created our own software to accomplish this of linking you to your digital twin. Mm. Okay, we'll go a bit more into that uh, a bit later on, but let's zoom up a little bit and talk about smart communities. So what is a smart community to you? Well, I think that if we're looking at all the concepts and ideas of smart community, for me, it's about trust. You need to have trust between the individual and, and another individual, an institution, or even the government. So all the trust is very important in there. You've got to be able to know that it's not a, a fraudulent identity in the community and not a fraudulent institution that you're dealing with. So that is, for me, in a smart community, trust is the most important part. And with my, my expertise in the identity space, the human identity is core to the whole smart community. If you don't bring that human into the smart community, nothing else will work. You're looking at IoT and all that, it won't work. So, and I think one of the most important things for me in a smart community is that the micro becomes part of the macro. The macro doesn't just decide on what happens to the micro. The macro works from the bottom of up. So the individual as say in everything that's happening in the environment. Yeah, I think that's really important. So it's not like you're you're not talking about this kind of, you know, top-down thing where everyone decides everything and then the person at the bottom or the human has to just deal with what everything, you know, what's been decided for them. It's actually about how how does that human or the people within our communities make decisions about you know, things like their data and all those other type of things that we deal with on a day-to-day basis. Mm, exactly. I think in the it's very important, especially in the political sphere of things, because the politicians are making choices that not necessarily benefits the individuals or the community for that matter. They can go in a total different route and claim it to be right where the community is not interested in going that route. So with this type of environment in the smart city, if we've got potholes here, it can be fixed quickly. If we've got a problem about the thinking of the government going into, let's say, communism or capitalism, it's their choice. But the community says, yes, let's not the guy at the top just thinking whatever he wants to do is going to happen. Let's talk about identity. Why do you think identity is so important in our smart cities and communities? In my opinion, if you haven't got a human in the smart city, the smart city or smart community does not exist. It's it's just a pipe dream. So firstly, you've got to put the human being into the smart city. So that's core to any smart community, smart city, because it's from there that you determine what else happens. You can't just put everything together and it's like having a, a PlayStation uh, train station. You can have all the nice things there, but there's no humans. It's all little puppets walking around or whatever, dolls. But with the importance of the human is, this is the piece where all the building, the starting of anything, the development 
into better systems for the community starts. And that's why the identity is crucial. But you've got to know that that person or that identity is a real-world human being. That's the most important part. Because if you just carry on in a route, you can have fraudulent identities, synthetic identities, and a huge problem of not having a smart city. So it's an integration between the human and the rest. Mm. Yeah, yeah. I'm keen to, I guess, talk a little bit more about some of, like, explaining a little bit more about what you do in your in your business and then some of the projects and things that you've been working on. Okay, so it, let's go to the beginning when it started. The concept of how we want to do true, true identity management actually started in preventing debit order fraud. That's, a, that's quite right in South Africa. Every year, you hear that it's continuing in the banking sectors. So we uh, started working on this because if you've got a human being, you can link it to transactions and then you can obviously know that this was a real transaction. It wasn't somebody that just created a debit order. So it moved further into where we said, okay, but how do we link the human being? So we brought the forensic part in where we say, there's only two forensic biometrics that you have currently. Forensic meaning that you can basically take it to a court and uh, test to where you got it, how you preserved it, now you're presenting it. So the two, it's one is fingerprints, other one is DNA. DNA is a bit harder to collect in the digital format in the industry. So fingerprints, is a bit easier. It's got forensic value, as I just mentioned, so I can take it to a court of law. But you can then, you need an AFIS, Automatic Fingerprint Identification System, to collect this, process this, and match against whatever there is in the system. So we looked at that, brought in the best forensic, our best AFIS for our forensic system. We don't just collect the evidence and put it into the AFIS. We also protect the person's physical fingerprints under their consent. It's not something that we just collect left, right, and center. It's got to be on consent from the person. So then we added the other biometrics, face, iris, um, voice, and obviously DNA at a bit of a later stage. We actually strengthened the value of the face, the iris, and the voice because it's now linked to fingerprints and to one single person. So now we can verify the person's identity anywhere on Earth where the system has been installed. And especially if you think about the smart cities, now a person can verify himself and another person can verify himself on the same, on the same database, which means they can now talk to each other with a verified trust exchange between them. So we moved into evolution, moved us, pushed us into where we can find the right devices. Because when we started, the right fingerprint devices was not even developed. So we had to wait for that. And then we went into the blockchain and we saw that a lot of these guys working on the blockchain. And the blockchain is actually very important for the smart city. So we moved into the blockchain and and investigated what, researched what was available. Many of the platforms are just focusing on a self-sovereign identity, but they don't care what's on the system. They don't do the identity part. So you can be a a sheep, uh, a table, glass of water. You can be anything on this self-sovereign identity platforms that they've created. So we started our private uh, Dell uh, blockchain, which also works on your nodes and that, so that we capture the individual's information on there. So there's a lot of patents that we also added into our system. Now you will be able to verify yourself using a hash on your mobile device, but it's also linked to your fingerprints, face, and eyes. So we've created a whole solution in the evolution of identity management 
where we're sitting now, we can verify the person's fingers, face, iris, voice, and then obviously on the blockchain as well. So it's grown. Evolution has just forced us into going into the best route possible. And what kind of applications does your technology, I guess, offer? Okay, so firstly, uh, you need to do the forensic uh, onboarding. Onboarding is the most critical factor in the identity space. There's a lot of guys using these selfie solutions currently to onboard in there. It's very dangerous because there's no forensic value in a face. The other one is it allows for synthetic identities to be created. ID.me in the USA had a huge problem just recently where people onboarded onto their system using mannequins, false faces and all that, and it's in the papers, in the in the media. So you understand that's a, a, a problem. So what we created is we created a pre-onboarding where the person is pre-onboarded into our system just with the, a bit of information related to the identity. We don't capture anything else than an identity-related aspect. Then they are sent to, out of this, we create a unique identity key number. They then visit one of our kiosks where they then uh, onboard their biometrics, fingerprints, all 10, both eyes, face, voice, and then that is captured and sent to our system where it's protected. So on the verification side, then you can verify the person by looking into the irises using a iris scanner. So that's touchless. You can use on the uh, on your app on the, on devices. We can verify the person using the face. But remember now that that face is linked to our database, to the fingerprints. So it's not something that he's linking to what's on his device because that's gimmicks. And it's always linked 100% to that person. And then fingerprints as well. So you've got a different levels of uh, verification that comes into play. We can actually verify a person in the security industry visiting a certain place at a certain time. They can verify and that will be done with GPS coordination and it will report where he was um, verified. And for a lot of different aspects as well. So that's... Um, and then the blockchain, that's the Verify Trust Exchange that we have. It's a specialized app, as well as then our own blockchain where everything is stored. Mm. Forgive me if I'm not understanding correctly, but I'm keen to talk about or wondering whether this has any implication in like deep fakes and like, you know, the verifying the real versus the deep fake. Because I know there's lots of talk about that and, and lots of issues with that and it's you know an emerging thing that I think is going to be a real big problem uh, very soon. Have you got any thoughts on that? Yes, um, quite a lot. Um, I actually wrote an articles regarding synthetic identities and all that, as well as a book was recently published where, where I described that as well. Defects is a huge problem and this is exactly where I'm talking about the selfie registration where the person onboards himself. When they do that, and this is where deepfakes already has moved into that space. They now know that they can onboard with a face. You can go look at the, you can download any face that you want to. So there's a lot of different things. And the deepfakes is getting better and better. For every one person trying to combat and fight against that, there's 100 to 200 guys creating more, better, better systems to create these deepfakes. Now, why we mitigate that is with that onboarding that I just explained. That's the most important factor. You can only be a human being if you've got your fingerprints, eyes, irises, and all that onboarded at the same place, same time. 
and we also monitor what it is that is being onboarded. So we've got this liveness detection that the people are using now with the selfie things. You can't prove liveness. With us, you can prove liveness because you can only be a real human when you attach the our fingerprint scanners, when your iris and face is captured, and we actually do pupillometer reading as well. So in all, we, we ensure that that's not a deep fake. So deep fake can't be on our system, nor can there be synthetic identity. Uh, just a quick thing about the deep fakes, what they're doing is the crime sneakers have seen this as a huge opportunity. In the past, they would target one human being that's got a money in that's got money in their account or access to something, and they will then defraud that one human being with identity theft. So the honeypot has now go, uh, gone for them from the individual to the institution. So now they're looking at the banks. The banks have got huge amount of money. And they, they're lending out money left, right, and center. So what they do is they create a synthetic identity using one of these type of processes that does not have forensic protocol in it. And then they open a bank account with that uh, identity that they've placed there. Remember, this identity does not exist. Can't breathe, can't walk, nothing on earth. It does not exist. So they apply for a loan then when they've opened up the account at this bank because the banks are allowing these systems to, to onboard onto their accounts. So if they've become a client, now they apply for a loan. It's a $100 loan. The bank then sends it through to the credit union to check if that person is, is, can have any credit. The credit union does a check on that identity and they find that there's nothing on this person. There's no history or anything. And they send a reply back, no, we haven't got any. It's too high risk for you guys to lend out the money. So what the credit union then does is they create a profile on this on their system for that synthetic identity. So in essence, the profile that was created as a synthetic identity has been briefed into it so that it can now exist. It's existing in the bank, existing in the credit union. They wait a month or two and apply for another time for uh, once again for $100 or $200 loan. This time, when it goes to the credit union, it's checked. It's seen that it's clean, there's nothing problem, it's a small amount, you can take the risk, he is on our system and he's clean. So what they do then is with the synthetic identities, they basically look after, take care of it constantly, paying off the loan, getting a bigger loan, paying that off, until they can take up from $100 in a three-year period, so they can actually borrow $150,000. Now the problem is it's not just one synthetic identity. In any banking environment, there could be 50,000 of these. Now, if you think about 50,000 guys at once, within a day or two, all of them have borrowed money that's, say, $100,000 worth. And in, within two days, they just close the accounts and withdraw the money and move the money away. It's, they, I think there was a dry run recently where people did this. In two days, they took millions of dollars out of that bank. So the bank is at risk there. And that's where the crime syndicates have gone with the deep fakes, synthetic identities. And they're currently busy in the banking sector, insurance sector, government, everywhere. Yeah, wow. It's such a um, sophisticated scheme or like plan, right? And so, yeah, it's like they've got it kind of all figured out and more and more of this stuff is going to happen, right, as we potentially, if we don't have the other side where we're uh, making sure that those things are protected. Yes. There's two things in the banking sector that's difficult for them. They've got to comply to anti-money laundering 
legislation as well as to terrorism funding and all that, human trafficking, all of that, they've got to comply to specific rules and regulations. But if they've got a synthetic identity on their system, it means that they're not complying to those rules and regulations. So they would rather stay quiet about that synthetic identity. They're trying to find that in their systems, but they're all trying to use this AI and all that nonsense. You might find one out of a thousand, but that's the, the rest is there. You can you can actually find half of them or more than that. The, the scrum syndicates just creates more. So on the one side, if they have got synthetic identities on it and they tell the authorities about it, it means they're not complying to the legislation. On the other side, they keep quiet. These synthetic identities is capable of ruining the bank with a, a civil-like attack within a day or two whenever they do it. I don't think they they are talking about it. They're keeping quiet because as soon as they mention this, it means they're not complying to what the legislation is. So it's a huge risk for the financial institutions at the moment. Yeah, massive, massive problem. Okay, let's zoom into the future now and talk a little bit about emerging trends. So I imagine you have lots of emerging trends that people probably aren't talking about enough. So let's talk about some of them. What are the emerging trends that people aren't talking about enough? I think the one that I just mentioned regarding synthetic identities, they're keeping that under wraps. I think if you, if you look at where that can apply, it's not just in the banking sector where they aim at defrauding the bank. They can also get into a government and actually get hold of secrets that's inside the government. Bots, you've heard about the bots that's everywhere and all that. They can create cell phone forms or mobile forms where they then can swing an um, election they can, because then they've got social security regarding how it works and what country. And then the other part is that they actually manipulate people to do riots, protests and that because it's all on this Facebook, Twitter and all those things and it's bots on there that's you know, telling the people, let's go there and let's start a fire there. So that's the things that they're not talking about. So in the identity space, I think that the people, one thing that they're keeping quiet about is that the self-sovereign identities is a good thing, but if you can have a table on there or a glass of milk, it means it's not self-sovereign. Self-sovereign is a, can work very well, but you've got to have the human on there. So they're disregarding the human in many aspects. And that's the thing. Everybody is saying this biometric is good, behavioral, voice, face, and all that. But the problem is you can't link it to a real-world human being. It's There's a gap there. So emerging trends, I would see that, um, I can see that a lot of people are trying to get into the uh, smart city, smart community aspect, but they are still disregarding the human being to a level where they're going to make mistakes in this. So the best is to ensure that you have got a human being and you've got a person in the community. That's, in my view, from the identity perspective, that's about how I can see the emerging trends evolving. Mm, yeah, and I think that's it's really important to, I guess, bring it back to the human. And we talk about bring it back to the human in so many different aspects, you know, making the technology not a sol- solution or tech for tech's sake, but actually serving the needs of the human beings. And I mean, I guess it's similar in the identity space as well. Yeah, it's very much. I think that one thing that will work if you if you want to have this um, smart city, smart communities work, 
and I've mentioned it earlier, is trust. Trust must be there that this person can trust that institution to do this for them and trust that the government or the overseers are listening to them and that. So that's why I said the micro and micro just basically come together. You have got certain needs and you need to have those needs where the government's taking part of that. You need to tell them about it. So I think that with trust that you know that that's a person there and this is the institution and we can talk to each other at any time. I think then the smart cities are looking at a, a reality, a very good prospect then. Yeah, I think trust is so key and I, it's something we probably don't talk about enough and I think it's something that is probably lacking globally right now, obviously more so in other places than other places. But, yeah, it's definitely a key ingredient to this whole space. Yes, and I think one, one part in the space that's important is that crime is rife right across the world. In your smart community, you don't want that crime. So with this type of um, solutions that you go into the crime can be nullified, and that's what you want. You want to live in a safe society with people that you can trust. And I think crime is now expanding, right, to the cyber world or digital world. And, I mean, it's already, I mean, it's not, it's not a new thing, but there's just, I think, more and more loopholes, or maybe we're hearing about it more and more, maybe it was already happening, but there's more and more things that are, that are happening in that space. Absolutely. I think if you look at the cryptocurrencies, you currently in that fintech space, there's no real regulation uh, to say you can't do this and, and to know who's funding who. I mean, that the banks want to have control of everything because they then can tell the government of the day this is what's happening with insiders. And none of that actually exists in the crypto world or you can see in the digital space. So what we know about physically is maybe half a percent of what's going on in the digital space. So we don't even know what's happening. People have estimated $2.1 trillion of money laundering. It can be hundreds of trillions. We have got no clue because there's so many transactions happening. But how do you regulate it? The only way to regulate it is to know that this person is a real person and this person did this transaction. Similar with your money laundering. I've got a huge problem with money laundering just in the banking sector. It starts with the human. You don't link this real-world human to that transaction. It could be anybody. And that's where the start point on that lies. But yeah, in the digital space, I think it's, it's quite large to do what you want at the moment. Mm-hmm. Well, it's been so great to chat with you and I've learned a lot. So thank you so much for coming onto the podcast. I'm really glad that we were able to, uh, I guess, get out my calendar, actually, get my calendar sorted so we could have this chat. And I just have one last question, which is easy, and then we'll wrap it up. But how can people connect with you? I think the easiest way is obviously through my LinkedIn profile that um, they can see what we do and they can link into the Dell Global from there as well. Well, they can mail me directly at david, D-A-W-I-D, dot jacobs, at D-A-L-Dell, uh, global, global.com. So it's one of those. That's the, but I think obviously LinkedIn will be the easiest. Yeah, we'll put all the links in the show notes. Um, thanks again, David, for coming on to the podcast. And yeah, we'll talk soon.
Thanks a lot, Zoe. I really enjoyed it. And hopefully the message gets, gets out there and then assist the people in building the right smart communities. Thanks again. We'll talk soon. Bye. Okay. Bye-bye. Are you looking for an engaging speaker, MC, or facilitator for your next big event? Then we've got you covered. Zoe is a go-to speaker, MC, and conversation facilitator with a difference. She's a master at simplifying the complex and making connections you might never see. Book Zoe for your next event. Email hello at mysmart.community or head over to her speaker page, www.mysmart.community forward slash speaking. Thanks so much for listening to the Smart Community Podcast. Show notes for this episode and all other episodes are available on our website, mysmart.community slash podcast. If you have any questions for us or any of our guests, you can email hello at mysmart.community. You can also find us on the socials. We are on LinkedIn and Twitter at smartcomhq. That's com with two M's. If you are enjoying the podcast, please hit subscribe so you never miss an episode. And we would love for you to leave us a rating and review at wherever you listen. This really helps us reach more ears and eyes. So thank you for your support. As always, we hope you enjoyed listening to this episode as much as we enjoyed making it. The Smart Community Podcast is what you're looking for.